Welcome, Warriors, to MDC. In this series, I'm examining every single goddamn page of the Secrets of Shadowloo supplement for the Street Fighter storytelling game, intent on uncovering the single biggest secret on each page. Every episode covers one page, every episode is short. Secrets of Shadowloo was published in 1994 by White Wolf Game Studio. Today we're discussing page 59 of Secrets of Shadowloo. Uh, we're embarking on a new chapter today. This is chapter five, Shadowloo Adventures. And this is the chapter, uh, sort of like storyteller advice. Uh, basically, it's now that we know all about Shadowloo within the fiction, on an out-of-character level, how do you use the organization in a game? Uh, how do you do a Street Fighter campaign that heavily involves Shadowloo? As experienced GMs and storytellers will know, this is where things get weird. Because it's one thing to invent an evil empire or an all-powerful conspiracy. That should work on TV or in a novel. But when you bring it to the gaming table, it's interactive, which means you can't keep it within its milieu. You have to think through how it relates to the rest of the world. You know, who cleans the evil headquarters? Are they combat badasses too? Do they have a high-level security clearance? Or uh, do you not have a cleaning staff, and therefore your evil base is filthy? Do these evil wizards clean their own toilets? Smart-ass players will sometimes be heard to ask. Tone be damned, you gotta make the world hang together. And that's why this chapter of Secrets of Shadowloo is great, because it takes everything we've established about Shadowloo so far and just sprays it out into the rest of the world. A great example is on this very first page, which pitches an idea for a Street Fighter campaign. What if these Street Fighter player characters were Interpol agents? Quote, whether the characters are full-time agents or part-time freelancers, they will be sent on various Shadowloo-busting missions all over the world. Chun-Li is an example of a world warrior who works with Interpol. Although, to editorialize, this is not the ringing endorsement that the author may intend, because in Chun-Li's ending in almost all versions of Street Fighter 2, as soon as she avenges her father, she leaves the vengeful detective life to become a normal carefree young single girl. If Interpol is so great, then why did she quit as long as she was no longer in danger of being haunted by her dad? I ask you. But anyway, quote, the standard setup for this type of chronicle usually involves Interpol financing the character's team in return for favors. Such favors can include requiring the team to travel to tournaments in places where Shadowloo activity is suspected and carrying out missions while they are there. So this isn't just a matter of being an informant for Interpol, which would make a lot of sense because there are a lot of street fighters involved with uh, Shadowloo's organization. As we've established repeatedly, it's very easy for street fighters to infiltrate the ranks of Shadowloo. So it makes sense that there'd be kind of a pipeline. You'd want some friendly street fighters cluing Interpol in on, on what's happening in different parts of the world with Shadowloo. This isn't just that. In this campaign, you are going places and doing missions for Interpol. You're out there busting perps. But like all those who uphold law and order in genre fiction, you will be constantly plagued by your greatest foe, law and order. Quote, the character's hands may be tied by red tape and bureaucratic backlog. The characters may capture Shadowloo Ninja only to see them walk free as Mrigonka demands their extradition. And gets it. I'm not here to argue the merits of this case. I don't know why Interpol thinks it's a good idea to send random underground MMA fighters to go beat up ninjas and, and drag them to a local constable as the beginning of a delicate international criminal prosecution. I am not pro-ninja, but I am pro-civil rights, and I believe that everyone should be protected from being arbitrarily street-fighted, having their pockets rifled through and their evil base searched, and then being prosecuted with no recourse. In this matter, I may side with the ninja, but that, that hardly matters. In the face of this stunning news that we've just received, Riganka has extradition treaties. It's, it's canon. It's right here. Riganka can extradite 
for trial in Riganka. There's international law involved in this. There are arguments that have to be made outside the realm of whatever kind of weird-ass kangaroo court operates in Riganka. Like, if I had to guess, I would say there's probably some evil pointy-topped courthouse somewhere in Riganka where they hear cases like once a month and it's like Balrog in boxing gloves and a powdered wig, and he just finds everybody guilty and personally throws them off a dock or something like that. But extradition, that's not going to be heard in a Rigonkan court. That's going to be heard in a real court. And that means Rigonka has to have a real justice system of some kind, and it has to have lawyers. Lawyers who can go, God bless them, with straight faces before actual justices and explain why, for example, a half dozen ninjas who are caught trying to steal the torch from the Statue of Liberty, should be returned to Mriganka for summary judgment and being thrown off a pier by a boxing man. I guess the reason this strikes me as so strange is because, as a comic book fan, I've long been acquainted with the idea of supervillains who come from places that are sovereign nations and can grant them diplomatic immunity, like Dr. Doom, right? If cops tried to arrest Dr. Doom in the United States, it would be an international incident. Political pressure could be applied. And Dr. Doom can achieve that by being Dr. Doom. I'm not going to say it makes sense, but it makes the comic book version of sense. M. Bison cannot glower his way to an extradition treaty, let alone an extradition. Lawyers have to appear. Briefs must be filed. So we already knew that uh, Shadaloo had a certain amount of uh, legal immunity, political pull, but the secret of Shadaloo revealed on this page is that Mergonka isn't just some forbidding island that technically has sovereignty, and therefore you can't just drop a bomb on it with no consequences. Riganka is engaged with international law, it's engaged with the world, and there is apparently a Riganka attorney general's office devoted to rationalizing Riganka's legal system into something that'll fly in international courts. That has got to be one of the hardest jobs on Riganka. That's like the opposite of living in the hovercraft cave. Those lawyers must be working nonstop and under constant attack. And honestly, this may account for some of the less profitable eccentricities of M. Bison's criminal regime. Based on his relationship with Vega, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if M. Bison occasionally puts a law in the books like, anyone caught climbing the sheer rocks on the Mrigonkin coast without authorization must go to the moon and fight me for the keys to the rocket ship. Not so much because he thinks that's enforceable, although I'm sure he holds out a secret hope, but because he just wants to hear his lawyers go before the courts and say, sovereignty. If that word is to have any meaning, then it must entail sovereign power over one's borders. This court is not tasked with ruling on the effectiveness of lunar punishment as a deterrent, but only on the matter of law. I, I, think, I think if M. Bison could hear a lawyer with a straight face say the phrase lunar punishment, that would be almost as good as sending someone to the moon. Your Honor, for two decades, the volcano has been sacred to the people of Mriganka, and if a visiting street fighter refuses to march... In the Bison Glory Parade, it expresses community values that that street fighter should be lowered inch by inch into the volcano. <laughs> At this time, I'd like to call my first witness. Your Honor, I call Mr. Jungleman to the stand. Once again, we have stumbled upon a Shadaloo character I would play, by the way. And I have no concern about this being just a lawyer because you know that every lawyer in the Brigonkin Attorney General's office is for sure also a street fighter. So I'm not worried about that. Street fighting counsel for the Brigonkin State Department, yes and yes. Anyway, the realm of international law is only one of the many spheres where Shadaloo, as presented in these pages, makes no goddamn sense to delightful effect. Join me next time as we reconsider how much one psychic can achieve in the realm of international diplomacy on MDC.
This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret Patreon-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that RSS feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact or check out the show wherever you want. I am Megadumbcast on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, Podbean, your favorite podcatcher, etc., etc. Street Fighter and all associated trademarks are property of Capcom. This season's theme music, used under a Creative Commons license, is City Lights at Night by Revolution Void, whose work you can find at sites.google.com slash view slash Revolution Void, or at freemusicarchive.org slash music slash revolution underscore void. Thanks for listening. Now get lost. You can't compare with my power. <laughs>